Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you thanks not only for this day, the resurrection day, but also the fact that you have called us to be your own, uh, that you have called us to serve you, and that you have provided for us everything that we need for life and godliness and also to uh, be that witness to those who don't know you. We pray that as we communicate, whenever we communicate the message of salvation, that you would give us the right words to say, that they would be like apples of gold and settings of silver, and that it would, in fact, have its work that you intend for it to have. And, Lord, as we get into your word today, I ask that you would bless it and you would multiply it in the hearts and the minds of those who hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, this is the Resurrection Day, what we also know as Easter Sunday. Easter comes from the pagan god of sex or love, and it's not what the Resurrection Day is all about. That's where we get our Easter eggs from. By the way, how many of you, when you were growing up, when you would get those chocolate bunnies, and then you would bite into the chocolate bunny, and you feel deprived because they weren't solid chocolate on the inside? That was just so disappointing to have that happen. Or you would get into some of the candy, and the candy wouldn't be quite right, and you were expecting it to just be, you know, just the tastiest bit of candy, and it was some cheap candy that somebody got from somewhere else and, you know, little disappointments. But then you had the Easter egg hunts and you tried to figure it out as a kid, like, what is Easter all about? I don't get this. I get an Easter basket and some eggs and we go to church and I'm kind of confused. But it's the world, how the world decides we're going to keep this pagan holiday, this fertility thing. It happens in the spring and you have chicken eggs and you have Easter bunnies and all of that. But then we talk about Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead and the new life that he provides. And so there has been a molding together of these two traditions, one from the Christian community and the other one from the pagan community that has been throughout the world. Now, if I digress a little bit, last week was the beginning of the Passion Week or what is known as the Passion Week. Maybe you have seen the Passion of the Christ on television. I think Mel Gibson did that and we watched it this last week and it was just a brutal depiction of the crucifixion of Christ. But there was a whole week uh, that has transpired or did transpire during the time of Christ and it began with his triumphal entry and what would be known to us as Palm Sunday. And so that Passion Week actually began with a meal that was taking place at Simon the leper's house. Now, Simon had been healed. Simon the Pharisee, he had been healed, and he invited Jesus and, I believe, his disciples to have a meal with him. And there was this woman by the name of Mary that showed up, and she had this box or this uh, clay jar full of alabaster and she broke it and she poured it on Jesus's head and she poured it on Jesus's feet and she wiped his feet with her hair and her tears and she was ridiculed by Simon who apparently had been healed by Christ because he was formerly known as Simon the leper and he was looking at what was taking place here and especially because that pure nard or whatever it was inside of that jar there it was so expensive and even Judas Iscariot 
He complained that that could have been sold and the money been given to the poor. But of course, we know from the scriptures that he had ulterior motives that he liked to dip into the bag when something was sold or money was given for himself. And he would buy things for himself. And so he is really complaining that he didn't get to take advantage of the price of this box that was broken up and this perfume spread over Jesus. And Jesus basically let everybody know, knock this off. This will be a testimony to this woman, and it's recorded in all four Gospels. And if it's Mary Magdalene, she had seven demons cast out of her, and she has loved much, and that's why she gave so much, because she realized what she had been forgiven. And so that is the beginning of the Passion Week. And Jesus shows up, and he rides this donkey into uh, Jerusalem from Bethpage and Bethany. He comes down the hill. And if you remember, like we have some palm trees, our palm leaves still up here. The people, they would lay down the palm leaves as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. And they would say, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means to save now. Glory to God, God in the highest. Peace to men on earth on whom God's favor dwells. And they were just praising God for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And of course, the Jews who were in charge at that time, they didn't like this at all. Like, you need to tell these people to stop. <coughs> Excuse me. And when Jesus heard that, when he was confronted by these leaders of the Jews, the Jews were getting just incensed. They were very upset that this was taking place. And they wanted Jesus to stop these followers from saying that. And Jesus said, no, if I tell them to be quiet, these very, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> these very rocks will cry out. And so Jesus did not prohibit them from doing that. Excuse me a minute. So, that's what Jesus told them to do, is not do anything. We're not going to tell these people to be quiet, because if they don't cry out, the very rocks will cry out. Now, that would have been a miracle to behold at that time, but this was a significant date in the prophetic calendar. And the reason this is a significant... Just a minute. This is a significant date is because in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it tells us that the Messiah would show up to Jerusalem and he would be riding on this little donkey. And that's how he would present himself. And he came as the Messiah of peace. And that's what the donkey represents. The second time he comes, he's not going to come on a donkey. He's going to come on a horse. And we are going to be behind him. We are going to come from heaven because we will be raptured at this point. And we are probably going to circle the earth. And as we come down, you're going to be able to look and say, hey, there's Lakeside down there. It's still there. And we're going to go over towards Jerusalem. And Jesus will step down on the Mount of Olives. And there's going to be a big earthquake. And he's going to set up his thousand-year millennial reign at that particular point. But that's how he's coming back. He's coming back as the God of War and the God of punishment at that particular time. But the first time he came, it was prophesied that he would. And this is prophesied in the book of Daniel chapter 9, that he would show up. And Sir Robert Anderson, he wrote this uh, book of, as far as the date is concerned, and they counted from the date in the book of Daniel the exact number of days that would transpire in order for the Messiah to show up and be cut off. And it came to 173,880 days. You were able to count from the prophecy in the book of Daniel to the triumphal entry. So it was to the day. 
that this actually took place. <clears throat> and so this is significant for us because we are able to understand that God has laid it out for everyone. Now, because he did this specifically for the Jews, the Jews should have recognized that the Messiah was actually showing up when he said he would show up, but they missed it. Now, some of them probably recognized it, but the powers that be did not want to give up their power. They did not want to give up their hold on the people. And so they were unwilling to recognize Jesus as, in fact, the Messiah who was prophesied to come. So that's the first thing we need to recognize is that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. Secondly, the exact date, as I said, was prophesied in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens. And 62 sevens, it will be rebuilt with streets, a trench, but in times of trouble. The total there is 483 years, and again, that translates into 173,880 days. And you can go through that particular book, but even John Walrood, who is um, now deceased, but he was a big commentator, a big professor over at Dallas Theological Seminary, he said no one today is able to dogmatically to declare that Sir Robert Anderson's computations are impossible. In other words, excuse me, in other words, he had calculated it out. The Jews should have seen it. They should have known the date of his return. Now, this is also going to be true at the second coming of Christ because when you see the abomination which makes desolate, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, when you see that take place during the tribulation period, you're going to be able to count the days until Jesus comes back the second time. So the first time he gave the number of days and the second time he has already given us the number of days. So those who are left behind here will be able to count on Christ coming back and setting up his kingdom. Now, during this time, we know that there was an admonition, as I just previously stated, the Jews, the leaders of the people, did not want the praises coming down upon Christ himself and Jesus would not have this stop and there was this tremendous animosity that built up amongst the leaders of the Jews. Now, if you remember, after this particular point, what did Jesus do? He went into the temple area and this is the second time that he did it. He decided to clear out the temple area because they were making the temple area into a marketplace. They were making God's house into a marketplace. And for those of you who don't know, what they would do is the poor would bring some sacrifice to the temple area and it would have to be inspected by the priest to make sure it was acceptable. Well, it was almost always rejected unless you had some type of inside line to the priest. And what they would do is they'd say, you know, we'll give you a trade-in on your animal and we have this new model that is over here and there's no blemishes on it whatsoever and we can sell this one to you. Now, it is a temple recommend sacrifice and because of that, there's a limited warranty so you have to move quickly. But in order to move quickly, you have to take the money that you have and change it for the temple money and when you change it into the temple money, and there's going to be a market for that, but when you do that, then you can buy the temple recommended sacrifice and everything will be just fine. So they were making money off of this. And Jesus didn't like this at all. <coughs> and so one time, he made this whip. 
He fashioned this thing and he started cracking the whip and he started moving the sacrifices out and he was taking the temple tables and he was turning over the tables and the coins would go everywhere and he was just raising a ruckus. Now, I don't know about you, but either he is completely crazy going into a temple like that and turning over everything or he was God, God's son, and he was ticked. The vernacular of the day, highly technical word there. He was ticked, is what he was. And he said, you have made my house into a den of thieves. And so at that particular point, that was it for the leaders of the Jews. They decided that they wanted to kill him, and they were just looking for a way to do it. And in the Gospel of John, most of the Gospel of John is the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And it talks about everything that he discussed with his disciples and anybody who wanted to know about God at that particular point. <coughs> and when it came to, quote-unquote, the Last Supper, the Last Supper isn't exactly how da Vinci would uh, depict it, you know, with the long table that were, was there. They were all uh, laying out on these couches, and they would dip their hands inside of the uh, vinegar, it was probably vinegar, balsamic vinegar and olive oil and they would dip in there and they would eat and, and that's how they would enjoy their meal together. And of course we know that Jesus was betrayed at the end of this time and after Jesus had cleared the temple and they wanted to kill him, he was eating with his disciples at the last point and this is where the communion that we will receive today was instituted. It was at the Last Supper. And he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat and this is my body which is, forgiven, which is given for you. And also the cup. They would take the cup and he'd drink uh, the wine that was in there and that was representative of his blood. And so with this, with Jesus spending this whole week there, we know that he went to the cross. Now, I've gone into descriptions before about what happens when somebody is actually crucified. And just to give you a brief overview of what takes place when that happens, Jesus was beaten. Have you guys seen, who has not seen The Passion of the Christ uh, by Mel Gibson? There's about three of you. Now, it is, it is rated R. And it's rated R for good reason. Um, we don't watch R films, but we have watched that. And... In the particular movie, these um, Roman soldiers, they take this cat of nine tails, and in the movie, they throw it across the back of Jesus. Now, if you know what a cat of nine tails is, it's a small wooden handle, and it has these leather straps that come off of it, usually nine straps, and on the end are sharp bones or metal hooks. And so when it would hit the flesh, it would dig into the flesh. And in the movie, when this takes place, this one centurion, he throws the cat of nine tails across Jesus' body, and you can tell all the hooks stick into the body. And then he just yanks it, and it just rips the flesh off of his body. And the depiction that was in there was probably more accurate than not, but he was undiscernible as a human being after all of this had taken place. And you see this in the movies that are on television and they try to do a good job representing that, but I'm sure it always falls short of what in actuality took place. And so after Jesus was crucified, he was set up on the cross. The way that you usually die is through asphyxiation. 
you usually can't breathe anymore. And they would have nailed a, a single stake, like a railroad tie, through his heels. His heels may have been turned sideways. It may have gone through the, the heel bones, both of them right through the bones to hold them in place. And in order to keep breathing, you would have to push up on that, which would cause just an incredible amount of pain. And he wouldn't be able to get enough oxygen unless you could pull up. That's why the two thieves on the cross had their legs broken and they were not yet dead because they'd no longer be able to push themselves up to gain a breath. And then they would eventually asphyxiate. But a tremendous amount of suffering during this. And, of course, Jesus, we know that the... um, Around the heart, there's a, a sack it filled with fluid, and when Jesus' heart was pierced, that fluid and blood, it came out, and he had already died in the crucifixion process. Now, he was laid in the tomb, and, of course, it was the time of the Passover, and they needed to get him in there before it was a sunset, and he was allowed to be in there for three, three nights, just like Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days, and he resurrected. And that's what we celebrate here today. Now, with all of this, that's the week of the Passion. I don't know if you could start from the beginning and go to the end, why we even have the resurrection. I mean, explain it in a biblical way. Like, for instance, why did God do it this way? Why did Jesus have to be crucified? Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and I'm just going to try to explain this whole process, why it's happening like this. And the reason I'm going to do this is because when I was in with a youth group, I think I told you two weeks ago, I explained to them the gospel, and I have done it three weeks in a row. I explained what the gospel was and why it's the gospel, why it's the good news. Because obviously, as Tom, you said yesterday, if there's good news, there's also bad news. Well, what is the bad news as opposed to the good news? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. What were the first man and first woman? What were their names? Adam and Eve, right? They were absolutely perfect. She was gorgeous. He was handsome. You know, he had kind of like, you know, like that. He was looking up. Just a nice guy. Who knows how tall he was? He could have been about six foot. He probably had a nice tan on him pearly white teeth, his eyes were beautiful, whatever they were, and Eve, you know, what else are you going to look at? I mean, Eve is right there. She is just a beautiful woman, and he was probably just beside himself, and you know how all the movies depict it. This is now truly bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, right? I'm sure that wasn't it at all. I'm sure his eyes wouldn't even blink for probably months as he was just saying, wow, God, you did this. Remember, Adam was formed out of the mud. You know, sticks and stones or whatever, they puppy dog tails and whatever he's made out of. But she was made out of his rib. And so they were both perfect. But they had this chance to choose to either eat of the tree of life or to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I need to stop right there. Some of you don't believe that that actually happened. Some of you believe, well, that, you know, it's just a story. No, I don't think it was a story. I think it was actually Adam and Eve, and they ate a piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And because of their disobedience, they sinned. And that very day that they ate of that fruit, they died. And I believe they died spiritually is the way that they died. Eventually, the body caught up with that. Because of that, and because God was perfect, God said, 
Now we have a problem. Who showed up to take care of this problem? It was Jesus Christ. It was called a Christophany. Now, he didn't have his body yet. How did he show up in a body? Well, he's God. I'm sure he can do almost anything that he wants to. That's, he can do anything that he wants to that's in keeping with his character. And so he showed up and he sacrificed. He gave an animal sacrifice in order to cover themselves because all they had was fig leaves, right? Fig leaves aren't going to do it too much. A little rough. I think it's probably not a good clothing attire choice. And so Jesus, he sacrificed these animals. And the sacrifice covered their sin. It didn't take it away. When he took the animal skins, he was able to cover them up because they knew at that point they were naked. But that wasn't the end of the matter because God requires there be blood spilled in order for a sin to be forgiven. And in this particular case, it was only covered. From this point on, God started working with the people. He said, okay, there's going to be an individual I'm going to raise up called Abraham. And from Abraham is going to come this nation. And Moses is going to come out of that. And I'm going to start a covenant with Moses. Now, I'm not going to get into Noah but right now, but with Moses, he started this covenant and he had these Ten Commandments. He said, you're going to live like this. You're going to bring these sacrifices and all these sacrifices are going to point to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. And you go to the Passover and you go all the way to the crucifixion and you go to the resurrection day. That's how it took place. So God said there has to be a blood sacrifice and all these blood sacrifices in the Old Testament All they did was cover it. It's like taking a quilt from home and throwing a quilt over it. It doesn't remove it. It just covers it. To where if you walked into a crime scene and say there was a murder or something, if it's covered, you know that somebody has died underneath the blanket, but it is still there. It hasn't been removed. And so all of our sin... At that particular point, it had not been removed, at least for the Jews. It was just covered over. God could look at them and say, okay, I'm still going to have to deal with this, but for right now, you can be acceptable in my sight. And ultimately, God said, there still has to be a life given. Blood has to flow as a result of this sin. And because Adam and Eve sinned, sin came to all men. Sin came to all women. It's kind of like this. If... You are a couple and you have children. Chances are, hopefully, the kids are going to look like you, right? If they don't look like you, maybe there's counseling available. But if they, if they look like you, you know that they're your kids, right? Well, the same thing happens with the nature of the individual. The nature also transfers. Have you ever heard about these families? Oh, the father was just an angry brute. And look at his kids. They're all the same. It's like the nature has also transferred to the kids. Or just the opposite. Oh, the mother is so sweet. And all their kids are just so sweet. They're just all wonderful. It's like the nature has actually transferred with the kids. Well, that sinful nature, it transferred from Adam and Eve all the way down through Cain and Abel and Seth and all the children and it's with us today we have that sinful nature i explain this to the youth that if you never committed a single sin in your life and you stood before god at the end of your life would god let you into heaven because you never committed a sin the answer is no because you have the sinful nature that sinful nature has to be done away with that's what god gives us when we get saved and so the old testament sacrifices just covered the sin then it spoke of the one ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was, of course, God's son. He is God in the flesh. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with that. They go, well, no, wait. So we worship a man. 
Well, yes, the man who is God, the man Christ Jesus. He has the human nature like the first Adam, but he also has the God nature, and they do not mix. Now, I don't know how this happens. This is a mystery to us. But he is fully God, and he is fully man. And in his humanity, he is completely submissive to God, the Father. But in his deity, he is equal to God the Father. That's why we believe in the Trinity. And that's another concept people just can't... They go, what do you mean the Trinity? There's three gods or one God? or Which way is it? Well, all we know is that God represents himself in three persons, but they are one essence. So there is one God. And they have always had fellowship with each other. Now, I don't want to get too long in the tooth on this, <clears throat> but the idea is... The reason that we even have a resurrection day is because there was a sin that God required to be atoned for. And you might say, why did God make the requirement blood which contains the life? I don't know. I have no idea why God did it that way. All I know is that he did. Could there have been another way? No. Why not? I don't know. God is perfect, and he only has one way for something to be solved. He doesn't need 60 different ways to do it. And so God said there has to be blood given, a blood sacrifice. The life has to be poured out. Now, if Jesus Christ hadn't have died for us, we would have to pay for our own blood. And guess what? It's not adequate. Why? Because we're not perfect. Why? God requires perfection. So if you're going to sacrifice your own life, you better be perfect in order to do it or God's not going to accept it. That's why Jesus, being God who is perfect and provided his blood, was able to be a sacrifice not just for himself, or which he didn't need to do, but for everybody throughout all of eternity, throughout all of humanity. And those people who accept that sacrifice, and what do I mean by that? Accept it. It means you have to believe that when Jesus gave his life, he paid what is known as the ransom. And you might say, ransom? What is a ransom? A ransom is usually a price that gets paid because a child or someone has been kidnapped and you have to pay the price in order to get them back, right? Well, it's kind of like that. Not quite. Jesus didn't have to go and pay off the father in order to get us. There was a price that had to be paid, a debt that had to be satisfied, and it was a life. And so Jesus paid the price of the life. Once that happened, then the door was open. But it's only available to those who accept it. And that's where we say, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Anybody who does not do that does not have their sin forgiven. They do not go to heaven. So with this, you go, wait, I have another problem with this. What about those people who go forward and they say, I confess Jesus Christ with my mouth. I believe in my heart that God raised from the, from the dead. And then a decade later, they are out of the church. They are living like the world did it not take? Well, apparently not. Well, how do you know if it takes? All of a sudden you go, well, I could do this and I could walk away from the church, right? Those who belong to Jesus Christ will persevere to the end. Well, how do you know? Because God says it. 
He says, you will stick with the program. It's like the parable of the sower of the seed. You have the seed that is thrown on the path and the enemy, which is represented by the birds or Satan, comes along and it takes the word of God and it never takes root in the heart of the individual. Then you have this seed, the word of God, that is sown in the life of the individual, but they do not have much root in them. It's like rocky soil. And so when persecution comes up, they dry up and they don't produce any fruit. But that person can be in the church for years. They can be there for a long time. Then there's also the individual who's inside the church and the word of God is planted in their heart and it comes up. But because of the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life, they are choked out. They don't produce any fruit. Now, let's look at that one for a minute. People get so concerned about everything else in this life that they don't have time for anything of God. Like, well, you know, give my heart to him completely, like 100%. It's like you put on your suit and you're going to dive in the diving end of the diving pool, right? And you go all the way down, 12 feet, and you're looking up. You go, I'm I'm in, right? And that's where you stay. But the person who doesn't really commit their life, you know what they do? They take off their shoes and socks, they roll up their pant legs, and they sit on the edge of the pool. They never get involved. They just sit there, well, you know, I can do this for a little while, but don't ask for a long time, all right? Because I got a life besides this. Don't ask me to do quite anything else. Like, go to a prayer meeting? Do what? Oh, come on. Be serious. I mean, there's a football game on. Come on, I, I need to... And by the way, if you watch football, don't worry. Football is not a sin. All right? You can be assured of that. <coughs> but this, you get what I mean. Don't take out of context what I'm talking about. We, we decide that we're just going to take our lives and we're going to live our lives the way we want to. When Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is within you, the kingdom of God is among you, and we're waiting for it. No, we're going to be redeemed sometime in the future. No, it's here now. You are part of the kingdom now. Are you acting like a citizen of the kingdom now? Like, for instance, you guys know where McMurdo Base is? McMurdo Base is in Antarctica. And down in Antarctica, they have this base down there. Now, if you showed up in a Hawaiian shirt and you had your little umbrella and you were wearing some flip-flops, they would say, you're not from around here, are you? Right? (laughs) Not exactly. If you are part of that base, you have your parka on, you are ready for it. If you are part of God's community... You are ready to go. You are part of his kingdom. You're not looking for something in the distance. You're acting like a citizen now. That's how you can tell if you are saved. Now, this always begs the question, well, okay, am I really saved? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I becoming a disciple? After all, isn't that the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore into all the world... And make disciples, and lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. And we're, we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If you are a disciple, you are focused on that. If you are not a disciple, well, we just, you know, we hang out every once in a while. I go to church. I like that. I go, go to this sport game. I go bowling. I go to family reunion. I, I just mix it all in. It's all good. It's all wonderful. That's not how it's supposed to be. God is here. Everything else hangs underneath it like a chime. And every once in a while, those chimes ring. And the only reason they're ringing is because you're checking how you can be a witness in any one of those activities that you do. 
That's how our life is supposed to be ordered. That's how it's supposed to be focused. If you do that, you have great assurance of your faith. If you don't, if your commitment to God is just one chime down here, and the rest of your life is up here, and you got your family, you got your kids, you got your grandkids, you got everything going on, it's time to go, am I really being that disciple that God wants me to be? And this is why Jesus died. You know, he went to the cross so that you could enjoy kingdom living now. You know, as Eric and I were going over to Cambodia, and as you do the will of the Lord, there's always going to be a sacrifice made. And by the way, the the next group that's going in June, I I just want to let you know, the church has not paid their way. They have paid their way. They are buying their ticket. They are giving an extra thousand dollars out of their own money in order to go. They have bought in hook, line, and sinker. They have given of their time to do it. And this is what God would ask of us, that we are willing to sacrifice everything in order that others may hear the gospel. And not everybody can go, I get that, but there can be support that you just freely give because you know that's what we're supposed to do. Now, I didn't come here this morning so that I could take with a wide knife like peanut butter and lay this guilt trip over all of you. I didn't do that. All I want you guys to do is understand that this is what God has called us to. Now, some people don't like to hear that. I I can't do anything. I'm just the messenger. God wants our entire life. He wants everything. He, not, he doesn't want a single area that you have sequestered and say, this is mine over here. We have a tendency to do that, right? Mine, mine. Isn't there a movie with seagulls in it going, mine, mine, mine? We do that as believers too. This is mine and don't take it away. You know, don't, don't, God, don't ask me to do something. I can remember a woman by the name of Gretchen that after I first became a Christian she was teaching at uh, Calvary Chapel of Mesa, the kids, and she thought she went on the mission field and she was just disobedient. She should have never gone out there and it was just a horrible existence for her. And it was just God's plan of working her into where she needed to be. But this idea that she was open and willing at that particular time to go and be a missionary in Africa, that she just sold everything she had and she went. The whole purpose of this, again, is not to give you a guilt trip. It's to make you aware of what God wants and how much did he spend to give this to you. He spent everything. He spent his entire life so that you might have eternal life. Now, one caveat that I talked about yesterday at uh, Mark and Kathy's memorial. For those people who, they want to be associated with Christ and they, they go to church and they're, they're kind of involved a little bit, but they never really wholeheartedly give their entire being to him. There may be some of those that are saved, some that aren't. But the ones that aren't saved, the tragedy of this is, the ones that aren't saved do not go to heaven. They go to hell. Now, in hell, there, there's only heaven and hell. There's only two places. If you think that there is a purgatory, that is a construction of men, 
It is not in the scriptures. And I don't say that just to get on the Catholic Church. If we were around for as many hundreds of years as they were, or they have been, we would have just as many errors as they would. But it is a construct of men. If you believe that you have to go to this place, a way station, work off the rest of your sins, that means Christ's sacrifice is not sufficient. And that is not true. And so when we die, we get to be present with the Lord if we trust in Him. But if we don't fully trust in Him, God takes us and puts us in a place of waiting until the great white throne judgment. And at that point, we will all see each other. We will see all the saved and all the unsaved. And we will see those who go into the lake of fire and those who will be redeemed for all of eternity. And those who go into the lake of fire, Scripture says in Isaiah 65 that they will no longer come to mind. We will not remember them at all. But the people that go down to hell will remember us forever. They will not forget. There will be regret of what they did not accept, which was the salvation that Christ had. I didn't make up the choices. I'm just the messenger to let you know what's going on. Christ wants all of you. This is the purpose of the resurrection. We get to live forever. I am going to tell you a little story that I relayed yesterday about this resurrection. The resurrection is, it's such a great thing that is going to take place. When I, <clears throat> I got up this morning, Patty said, was it like resurrecting the dead? And I said, no, it's more like resuscitating. <clears throat> and the difference between resuscitation and resurrection, this is it. If you stop breathing and your heart stops pumping, you're not going to feel too well once the paddles are applied and the oxygen bottle is given to you and you're resuscitated. You're probably going to wake up with one big headache. You're not going to feel very well and you have been resuscitated. Resurrected is not that. Resurrected is at the very molecular level you will be transformed. And as soon as you are transformed, even this body will be resurrected. But it will be new. It will be different. It will be transformed. And you're going to feel wonderful at the end of that. Now, Jesus, of course, he went into the tomb and he was crucified and he laid there for three days. And I related this story yesterday. A pastor was teaching some young kids in a Sunday school class and he was talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how Jesus was crucified. He was taken down from the cross and he was laid inside of the tomb. And once he was inside the tomb there, the pastor was explaining to the kids that he was in there for three days. But after three days, all of a sudden, the stone was rolled away. The angels were on the top and Mary showed up to the tomb and also the disciples showed up to the tomb and Jesus he stood outside and the pastor asked the little kids said what was the first words that Jesus said when he came out of the tomb and you know what they were ta-da right it was this yeah I'm here right and that's what the little girl thought when you get resurrected it's going to be like that you're going to have a brand new body you're just going to go wow I've never felt so great because you are going to be an eternal being Now, the people in hell are eternal, and the people in heaven are eternal. And with that, they will exist forever. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 says this. Some will be raised to eternal life, and some to eternal punishment. There is no such thing as soul sleep. We don't cease to exist because we are created in the image of God. God made this possible for some of those to go to heaven. If Jesus had not been crucified... None would go to heaven and all would be condemned in hell. 
because in Adam and Eve, we made the wrong choice as well. That's the story. That is why there is a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our sin has to be atoned for. Our sin is not only atoned for like in the Old Testament, but our sin is wiped away. It is crimson and it is made white as snow. That's the resurrection story. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, if you're not sure if you're really saved, me personally, I think I've said the prayer 50 times. You know, I just want to make sure that I'm in there. And of course, if you serve well, you, you have great assurance of your faith. But if you're always kind of meandering, wandering, I'm really not sure. And it's not the service that saves you. It's the service that emulates from what has happened on the inside. That's what's taken place. And it's a faith that works, but it's not a works that saves you. You understand that? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a simple prayer. And if you're not sure if you're saved, you just say the prayer. If you mean it, God will transform you on the inside. Now, your transformation will not be instant. You'll not all of a sudden be super saint and desire to do everything under the sun for the Lord. But God will change you and he will move you forward. If you're already a believer, we'll just give it as an insurance policy, right? We'll we'll just say, okay, I'm going to say this again. It's okay. I would say it a million times if I had to. So at this particular point, what you're going to do is you're going to ask Jesus to save you, and I'm going to ask everyone to say it. And if you mean it, God has saved you. So please repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I thank you for saving me. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer and you're not still quite sure, I would just say, go to church, get involved in Bible study, get all your questions answered because that's what God wants. God wants you to be fully mature in the faith so that you can pass this message on to others. And if you do that, you will be blessed. By the time we see Christ himself in person, there will be people that we have been able to influence into the kingdom. And because of that, God will turn to us. You have often heard me say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He will say that to all of us. Now at this particular point, as believers, we are going to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the receiving of communion. And as the individuals come forward, they're going to be passing this out. If the worship team would come up, we're going to pass this out. And I'd like you to hold on to both the cup and the bread and so we can participate in receiving these two elements together. So if you guys would come on up.